Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today's February the 4th, 2020. This is episode 2595 of the Survival Podcast, 2595. As it's a Tuesday, it is time for a Just Jack show. Pretty much every Tuesday is, unless we have to work something in. Uh, today's show is one of my favorite kinds of shows. A show where like, I get inspired, I get an idea, and I throw it at you, and you throw it back at me. What the hell does that all mean? Well, I use social media for that. Yes, Facebook can be useful. So I came up with an idea today to improve my grandson's learning. I'll save it for when I actually start the main topic, because exactly what it is is... Uh, It's kind of a, one of the projects that we'll talk about today. But when I came up with it, I put it up on my Facebook page, my personal page, and said, hey, here's what I'm doing. I want some help. You know, give me some ideas. People threw back some ideas at me, and I went, wait a minute. This seems like a good topic for a show. So what I decided to do then was to go into the Facebook forum on Facebook, the TSP Facebook forum, and say, hey, Instead of giving me things for this one project, give me your ideas for projects. And a whole shitload of stuff came in. And I kind of ferreted down, and I narrowed some things down, and I combined some things. So, like, not everything that came in is there. But uh, I do have a link to that, so you can see everything everybody posted. And we're going to go through this today. And this is – the way, what I'm calling today's show is actually Projects for Home Learning for Wannabe Homeschoolers. I'm a huge fan of homeschooling. I really am. Um However, I can tell you it's not for everybody. It's not for it's not for my grandkids. First of all, their parents I don't think are just not on board with you know us doing it. My wife, it's not her thing and um what have you and frankly we're old and we're tired and it, you know it's it's a challenge to have two kids here every day. We have two kids here every day of the week. Well, every work day of the week, right? So and we do a great thing with it. We love them, but you know adding schooling onto that at this point in our lives is probably not going to happen. Uh, I have a very, very close friend whose son was homeschooled for a little while, and he ended up putting him into a charter school, and he just does better. So it's not right for everybody. I, I, I really don't like the state system. Uh, but in some instances, it's going to be what works best for people or some other option, either private schooling or some sort of academy or uh, or the public school. But one way or another... We should be actively engaged in the learning of our children. Because as much as I kick public education, which is government school, and that's what it is. And some people get very upset when you call it government school. That means you're upset by the truth, because it is government school. It is a school run by the government. Hence, it is government school. Um, you remember back in the, in the 70s and 80s, uh, part of the welfare program was they gave away government cheese? Yes, the cheese was actually a giant log of Velveeta. I know, my grandmother used to go get it. Um, but we called it government cheese because it came from the government. I call it government school because it comes from the government. So you can say what you want about the government school, but much like the government cheese, it does have utility. We pay too much for it. It's got a lot of problems, but overall it, it does provide a basic education. And we can harness it and we can use it as long as we don't let it be all that there is. And if we're challenging our children to learn more, and if we're teaching them how to learn, then they can make the most out of what they get from that government education, and they can actually use it to build upon and go far in life. So I think we should all be engaging with our children and helping them learn, teaching them how to learn. And today we're going to talk about projects and ways to do that. If you don't have any kids, you probably are an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, and you can still do this kind of thing. In fact, in many ways, it's easier for you. 
I mean, one of the things I can say, you know, with me working from home and my wife basically helping me out in the business, uh, we have more time to spend with our grandkids than their parents do during the work week because, well, they're working full time away from home, which is what most people have to do. And one of the main reasons people don't homeschool. So everybody can learn from today. And I think that even if you don't have kids that you can directly do this with, I still think you're going to like today's show. Because how we help children learn is how we should be learning, too. We'll get into more of that in just a moment. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is the Free State Project. This is the organization that I've probably done the most for since I started TSP uh, as far as trying to help them get their message out there. I've been working with the Free State Project on and off since 2009. The Free State Project concept is that what they want to do is get people who are lovers of liberty to move to the state of New Hampshire and to leverage the systems there, since it's a relatively small state with a very representative government, to move that state toward as much liberty as they can do it. If you have to drag it kicking and screaming to freedom, fine. And you can learn more and figure out how you can become part of this, the work that they do by going to fsp.org forward slash join. You might find that it makes sense for you to move to New Hampshire. On some levels, I think about it at times. It's not going to work for us for a variety of reasons, but man, God, the people in this, in this organization, folks, are just amazing. Or you may find that one way or another, like me, you want to support their work because when we create a shining example of liberty anywhere in America, we create a removal of the excuse from other places of why it can't be done. Check them out again, fsp.org forward slash join. Next up today, Western Botanicals. I have always felt that herbs are probably the answer to the majority of health issues that we deal with. Not all, and there's some things we need modern medicine for or modern medical technique for, but I think a lot of what we think of as chronic modern problems by adjusting diet and using herbs We can, we can solve a lot of our own problems, and we can do it very, very safely and very, very gently. And it just, it just stands to reason that whatever humans might need to remedy you know, certain things would exist naturally in the world. Because well, when we first started walking the planet, there were no pharmacies and no doctors and things like that. And you see animals naturally gravitate toward using certain plants for certain things all the time. Now, the problem is there's a lot of snake oil salesmen in the world of herbalism. So when I found Western Botanicals, I knew I found a partner I could work with. They've been with us now like nine years. Check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. All right, let's get into this. Let's start out with how this whole thing started. So my grandson has the kid flu, which probably means I'll have the old man flu very, very soon. And I really hope not because I'm less than two weeks from having to go down to Belton for Mother Earth News. But uh, kids get sick, and they bring sickness home. And uh, because of that, he was not in school today. And he was home, and we said, well, you're still going to do your homework, and your spelling words and all that. And yeah, listen to what his spelling words are, and he has to learn the words and how to spell them and the definition and put them in alphabetical order. And you know what? The kid gets, like, straight A's in that part of his schooling because it doesn't even challenge him. But we were talking about, you know, doing work even when you're not in school, and the word that ended up popping out of my mouth was initiative. And I could tell as soon as I said the word initiative, he had no idea what the living F I was talking about. He's nine. He didn't know what initiative was. And I said, you know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to give you a word every day. And you're going to have to look it up and figure out what it means and explain it to me. And then we'll talk about it until I'm convinced that you know the word and how to spell it. And uh, you can start with initiative. So he did that, and we had a discussion about it. 
And it led to a pretty interesting discussion, and it kind of formalized the whole thing as to how I'm going to be doing it from here on out. Uh, as we were talking about initiative, and I was trying to explain some things to him to help him clarify. So I made him go as far as he could on his own, and then we discussed it to go further until I was convinced that he understood it. So we were having a conversation as equals here rather than me dictating to him what things are. Great way to learn. And I said something along the lines of the more, the more words you know and the more concepts you understand, the faster you can learn and the more you can do. And I could tell when I said concepts, he wasn't quite clear on what concepts meant. So then we decided that if anything came up during the discussion that he didn't understand, instead of me explaining it to him, he would have to go figure out what a concept was. He came back with a concept as basically an idea. We discussed ideas and how ideas form in your head and how you can use an idea to, like, get what you want. So I said to him, I said, do you ever, like, when you're thinking you want to ask your parents for something, have an idea about how you can present it to them so that they might be more likely to say yes? And he said, no, I don't. And I said, well, maybe you should. Maybe you should. And so we started talking about that. He goes, so you mean like a deal? I said, yeah, the deal is where we're going But you have, to de you have to develop the idea, the concept of the deal, before you make your presentation to ask for what you want. That's a lot about how you get things that you want in life. Like if I want to start a business and I need money and I go to a bank, I have to have the idea solid before I go there. And we had this pretty in-depth conversation for a nine-year-old. But he got it because whenever we got to a point that he didn't get it, instead of explaining to him, I said, well, you go figure that out. You come back to me when you got that figured out. He actually enjoyed it. And I said, we're going to go and we're going to do this in themes. And our first theme is going to be powerful words. Words like initiative. You know, and basically what we came out of initiative with is people who get shit done get what they want in life. Well, so then I went on my Facebook page. People that say Facebook is useless or whatever, like maybe it's a tool that you don't understand. It's like saying a hammer is useless or a gun is dangerous or a gun is no one needs a gun. Right, it, it all depends on how you use it. So I went on my Facebook page and I said, "Hey, here's what happened. Give me some words." And like some really great words started pouring in. And that's when I went over to the forum and said, "Hey, give me your idea." So that's how this all started today, and that's my word of the day, day word of the day project, right? And uh, I think this will be really fun. And I think it's the, it's not learning a word every day, right? It's the method. You take the word and say, here's your challenge. Here's your challenge. Here's this word that you don't know. <laughs> poor, poor kid, the first time he knows the word and he can just immediately articulate it, he's going to find out that you just get another word. I'm not telling him that's what happens. Um, but so, you know, you give the challenge here. And then you have the method by which you learn. You go look this word up. You read about it. When you're reading about it, if the explanation includes another word you don't know, you look that word up. You take initiative until you understand the concept. Then you have to be able to discuss the concept and use the concept at a level that shows you understand it. Do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? Do you know what I just described from classic education? That is grammar, logic, and rhetoric. You are able to understand the significance of the meaning of the word and then 
by using logic, develop rhetoric that explains the concept, the trivium. The classic method of education can be ingrained into a student as naturally as anything else simply by setting up a system and putting them into it and then letting them explore it. Giving them just enough motivation that they'll take the first step. And then it's 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 such a natural human thing to learn, to question, to discuss, and to clarify. It is so natural. It's so second nature that once you set that system up, it happens. It's it, Many other things I've talked about on the show like this work the same way. A lot of my laws of life work the same way. It's like starting a fire. One need not be a genius to start a fire. One just simply needs to understand a little bit about how to set the system up. You don't even have to actually be able to explain why it works. If you know the mechanics of you know, a little bit of tinder here and a little bit of kindling there and a little bit of this, that, and then uh, apply flame, you will get a fire. And you will get a fire every time. There is no magic to it. It only looks like magic to people that don't understand how it works. And I've seen grown men... I, I swear to God, I have seen grown men that cannot start a fire with a lighter. I was at a, uh, a, a church function one night, and they were going to try to start a fire for the kids. And, you know, one guy got in his car and left. I'm like, where's he going? They're like, he's going to go get a fire log. We can't get the fire going. And to be fair, some of the wood was a little damp, and it wasn't the best stuff. I'm like, what? Give me that. You know, like five minutes, there's fire going everywhere. Wow, man, you're pretty good at that. It's a fire, dude. And I, you know... I was a little younger than I didn't have an understanding that, you know, a lot of people don't grow up learning these things. Uh, it, it seemed natural to me. And that's the whole point that learning's natural. And before we get into the uh, ideas that other people gave me, I want to talk about our quote of the day and how it applies to all this. It's by Peter F. Drucker, who I've had quotes of the day on before. And his quote was, We now accept the fact that learning is a lifelong process of keeping abreast of change. And the most pressing task is to teach people how to learn. That's what this is really all about today. Learning these concrete skills is important, but learning how to learn is what really matters. And there's, there's some bigger things than that. There are certain things that are concrete. Two plus two is four. Now we can get into some etherical concepts and all that maybe, maybe make you question that, but when it comes down to it, two plus two is four. Yellow and blue make green. You start a fire this way and you will get a fire. Like, there are some things that are not going to change. But a great deal of learning is learning things that can change or perspective can change. There's so much of history that we learn is factual, but it's basically based on what we know and what was recorded. And often, historical facts end up being wrong. And we end up with a new perspective because new information is revealed. Especially if we go into prehistory, as far as pre-recorded history. Things that I was taught about dinosaurs growing up are, are, are not just like rethought today. They're demonstrably false by new data and new information that's been collected. Completely wrong. So what good did it do me to learn those things about dinosaurs, for instance, purely from a standpoint of memorizing and knowing them? Nothing. Because it was wrong. But if you learn how to learn, even when the facts change, you're able to adapt, adjust, improvise, overcome, and continue that lifelong process of learning. And much of what we base our lives on will change. It will change from our own perspectives. 
as we age and become wiser, and it will change because we simply learn more, not only as individuals, but as a species as time moves on. When my grandfather was a little boy, the idea that men would walk on the moon was inconceivable. When I was a little boy in school, we studied the story of how men landed on the moon. In just, just two generations, that much changed. When I was a kid, if you had told somebody that they would be able to take and replace 20 of the most common things that people rely on from a technology standpoint, like the first crude computers, radio, uh, a Walkman, uh, a, a watch, uh, an alarm clock, all of these different things, a calculator, that, that soon you would be able to replace them with a single small handheld device that would interconnect them to every human being on the planet and that everybody would be able to afford one. They would have thought you were absolutely out of your mind, tinfoil hat nuts. That's how, and today everybody has one. We call them cell phones. So everything in the world will change. And not only, even the things that don't change, how we apply them or use them may change. So focusing on how to learn is really the key here. So again, my word of the day, I think, is, is really good at teaching the trivia model. The, the student need not understand that in the beginning. Eventually, once that learning has become ingrained, and you can then see it happening on its own. When, it, when initiative is not a word that you're giving them to learn, but a, an action they're taking. When you see them then on their own, like doing their own work or something, or looking something up because they're interested in it, and going, damn, what the hell does that mean? And then immediately switching over, looking that up, clarifying it, and maybe even discussing it with you to be sure they're right, and then moving on. Then you can say, hey, let's talk about the trivium. And explain it to them and watch and see if they make the connection for themselves. Well, that's what I do. That's what I do. And that's, that is opening up that amazing, amazing capability that we're all born with. I was discussing something with somebody yesterday and I said, in the end, humans learn what they need to know when they need to know it. We, we, we lie to children about some of the things we force them to learn in the education process. You're going to use this someday. You know, if I really am, I'll, I'll figure it out when I need to. I mean, honest to God, there is a place for that. I think there's also a place for core fundamentals. People need to learn the basic, basic math, basic mathematical concepts, and I would say basic level algebra when it comes to mathematics. You do that, and you teach somebody how Excel works, you open up a whole world to them that can make them a, a multi-six-figure income. And a person sitting right next to him that's really great at advanced calculus might not be able to get a job. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. Doesn't mean there's not a place for advanced calculus, but there's a limited number of places for it. But these general mathematical concepts fit into everything. And when we learn how to learn and we apply that basic core knowledge, it's amazing when you see a person realize especially maybe for the first time in their life, really realize I can do anything I want to do. And that's my goal with these ideas and projects for your kids. So let's start out with a really easy one. A lot of people said cooking, but Crystal um, didn't quite put it the way I did here, but this is basically what she was saying. Meal prep from concept to recipe to procurement to execution to serving. So it's one thing to say we're going to cook today. And this is the difference between teaching 
and teaching someone how to learn, right? So we're going to cook today. You know what we're going to do? We're going to cook Grandpa's chili. There's nothing wrong with this. I've done this with my grandson. So here's the peppers and this and how we put it all together. And this is the technique and blah. And we're going to do this together in here and try to get them to do some of it. And in the end, you end up with chili. But what they really did was they did paint-by-numbers chili. You already had all the answers. You already provided all of the material. You had everything ready to go for them. They didn't really have to do anything except show up. Doesn't mean it wasn't fun. Doesn't mean they didn't learn anything by it. But here's a, here's a totally alternative approach to it. Hey, tell me something you'd like to try for dinner one night. Tacos. Fine. What kind of tacos? Uh, you know you're going to get something like that. Fish, chicken, beef. Pick some. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So chicken tacos. Okay. Hard or soft? Soft. Okay. Great. Make it. I, I can see the face of a nine-year-old. You tell that. Well, I'll help you. But we've got to start out with what are all the things that you need. Why don't you go start looking at some different recipes, reading about them, find one you think sounds good. And then come back to me with a list of all the stuff you need. Right? So then they come back to you. Okay, well, let's, let's see. How much of the stuff do you think we have? Well, we have this and we have that. Okay, well, what do we don't have? We don't have these things. Okay. Do we need those things? Because remember, my big thing is when you give somebody a recipe for chicken soup, you don't have parsley, you have everything else, make the chicken soup without the parsley. Throw celery leaves in there for parsley. So maybe there's a place for that. But I think in this, the first time around, maybe it's a good idea to say, you know, we need to forget all this stuff. Unless it's something like, it says use sour cream and I like sour cream. Well, then let's not use sour Let's put it on the side. Maybe I like it and you don't, right? Okay, so now then everything we don't have, how are we going to get it? Don't give the answer. How are we going to get it? You're going to get a, you know, that's not something that difficult for a kid to figure out. It's the store. They know the store. Okay, so we're going to need to go to the store and get all this stuff. How will we make sure we don't forget what we need? I know a list. So then you get them to make the list. Then you go to the store and, you know, you kind of have to be there with a younger kid. You can't just, like, tell them to get on their bike and go to freaking Kroger's five miles down the highway, right? So you go to the store with them, but let them push the cart. Let them get the stuff. If they get something, like, if they if they go grab, like, a 20-pack a of Twinkies because they, no. But otherwise, let them go. Let them make mistakes. And then, like, before you check out, go, let's go through the list. Right? Okay, uh, what is this? Oh, that's not what this means. Let's find what this means. I can't find it. I looked everywhere. How do you find things when you've looked everywhere in a store and you can't find them? What do you have to do? You have to ask the person at the store, where do you keep this? Don't do it for them. Let's go find somebody that works here. Go ask her. Go ask him. Go ask the guy over there cutting a box open. Where do you keep the taco shells or tortillas or whatever? You know, And don't make tacos. Make whatever the kid wants, right? And then let the kid actually go through the experience. When they get up to the cash register, break, figure out how much this is going to cost roughly and have cash. Hand them the cash. You pay. You pay. Pay for everything. Now, even if they're using your money, you pay. Get your change. Make sure your change is right. Tell her thank you. Learn how to do that interaction right there. Let's get the bags. Let's get them in the car. Have them when, they, when you put the bags in the car. Well, if you put it that way, it's going to fall over. You know, unless it's something they can't physically do, get them to do as much of this as possible. When you get home, get them to take the stuff out of the car, bring it in the house, put it away. If you're not going to cook right away, 
When it's time to cook, go get everything together. You have your list. You have your recipe. Go get everything together. Once you have everything together and you're ready to start, I'll come help you. Okay, what do we do first? Don't let them burn themselves or cut their finger off, but put them in charge of it. Just think of how many life skills you just taught. Now, if you could have taken it and, and just said, here, come cook with me, and they've learned the basics of how to cook. You've taught interpersonal skills. You've taught home economics. You've taught them how to go out and get their own damn food. You've taught them how to deal with paying for something. You've taught them how to be respectful of a person uh, and gain information from a person that does a job in a place that they need to do business. And the biggest thing is you taught them that they could. You've taught them that they can do this very thing. And do you know how important this is? I've seen grown-ass adults who can't do it. I've seen grown-ass adults that go out to eat all the time because they can't make themselves a freaking taco or a freaking ramen noodle soup, for that matter, because they don't know how. And maybe even if they understand the basics of how to heat up water, they don't understand like the entire process, as crazy as that sounds. Don't let that be your kid. Because what happens is you just do everything that you need to do, you put the food on the table for them, and you don't realize that they didn't learn. You don't even know that they don't know. Well, that's a really, really easy one. The next one was new to me, and I won't say a ton about it because it is still new to me, but it's called Kiwi Crate, Kiwi Crate Projects. I have a link to the website, and this is kind of like, um, one guy said it's kind of like the butcher box of home learning. So you get a box every month, and you pick like the age group and the subject matter. And it's like STEM projects and math projects and creative projects and things like that. And a box comes with all the stuff you need to do to do this month's project. There's video tutorials of how everything works for things that you don't know how to do. There's things like robotics. There's all kinds of cool shit that you can get from this thing. Now, I don't know if it is the right thing for everybody because it seems like an ongoing recurrent expense. It seems like a really smart business model because you're selling basically – Even though it's not a direct consumable, like selling, let's say, a bottle of vitamins, you're selling a consumable. Once that project has been done, you want to do another project, you got to come back type of thing. But I think that's a great way to like help people get off the ground if you're not sure what to do. You know, when it shows up, well, we have to deal with this. And I think that a way to approach that too is I have no doubt that if you do something like that, There's going to be some of those boxes that come, and the kid's going to be like, oh, man, I can't wait to do this one. There's going to be some of the, the kids like, eh, I, really, uh, I don't really feel like this one. And I think that like approaching that from, look, th this isn't about the project in of itself. This is about the fact that every month or every other month or however often we do this, we're going to be challenged with something, and we have to figure it out. We have to achieve something. See, Kids like games, so kind of take the game approach to it. Like that level that was really hard, that was annoying on that game you were playing, you kept doing it because you wanted to beat it. Well, this challenge that shows up every month, you know, mostly you with a little help from me, we got to figure it out. And because of that, you're going to be smarter and able to do more. Um, so I think that's cool. Now, kind of one you can do on your own, and I saw a lot of people suggest different ver variations on this one, was restoring or refinishing like an older piece of furniture repurposing it, whatever. Uh, kind of a flea market flip type thing, too, and possibly reselling it. I think that is amazing for so many reasons as well. And it might be a good idea to pick up some, like, uh, online, go find them, or, you know, 
scroll through the DVR, you know, and the channel guide on your cable or whatever, and see if you can find some shows like Flea Market Flip and watch it with them so they can understand, like, what the hell you're talking about. Because if you haven't seen it, Flea Market Flip is where they have, like, these two teams, and they go and they give them a certain budget, and they send them to a certain flea market, and they go out and they look at stuff, and they pick stuff. Then they take it, and they have a budget for how much money they can put and how much time they can put into changing it, retrofitting it, rehabbing it, whatever. And then they take it to their own, you know, kind of secondhand flea market, swap meet, whatever, and they sell it. And, you know, whoever makes the most profit ends up winning out of the two teams. And I'm sure there's other shows like that. So maybe even letting them see something like that so they understand. And then saying, let's just go, you know, to a Habitat store or... Goodwill or wherever you can find stuff secondhand junk, and and like that doesn't mean we have to get something today. Like, is there? Because that also teaches like, okay, looking for an opportunity and waiting till the opportunity is right. Like, we have twenty five bucks to work with for the item itself. Let's say that's what you said as a budget. There's nothing here that really fits that. We'll do something else today. There's see, there's 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 a lesson there. We're not going to do it just because it's an idea. We're going to do, eh, nothing here really works. We'll, we'll, we'll check another place. And eh, we'll check next weekend. And then eventually you're going to be like, they're going to, and try to make it where they find it. We're like, oh, this. Well, what do you want to do with that? Oh, okay. Well, how are we going to do that? Yeah. Okay. Well, you want to paint it. Yeah. Well, it's got this crappy finish on it. So we need to strip it. Let the, look up how to do it. They have the most powerful research tool on the planet. We didn't have this when we were kids, the Internet. And then you can, you know, make sure they're not making a bomb by accident or something. You, you guide them through, but let them do it. And if they're going to screw something up and it's not that big a deal, you know, if you're not going to, like, destroy an internal organ, set a house on fire, burn off a face, or cut off a finger, or some other appendage, you know, maybe let them occasionally screw it up. Because then you can say, look, we can still fix this. We can still fix this. So they learn from that experience, too. If they want to refinish wood, there's a whole process for that. There's more work in prep for finished work than there is in the finished work itself. Now, when I was a kid, I learned this in, like, sixth grade in wood shop, but they don't have that anymore. But, you know, I learned that you put a lot more hours into sanding than you do into putting stain on. That's a good lesson, too. That's back to Ben Franklin's lesson of spending more time sharpening the axe than cutting down the tree. It's the same thing. And then if you can actually take that thing, maybe, let's okay, now we're going to learn digital photography. Take some pictures of it. Well, you just set it down and take a picture of it. Well, that picture kind of doesn't look really good. If you were going to buy this thing, what would you want to see? How do we make that light right? Okay, now we have four or five pictures. Now let's figure out how to list it on a site where we can sell it. Let's put it on Facebook Marketplace, see if anybody buys it. I mean, do you realize what you're teaching a kid when you show them how to do all that? And if they take initiative, maybe the next thing you know, they're saving up for that education that you're so worried about paying for because they're doing this on their own. Maybe not. I don't know, but it's a start. Even if they only ever do it once, they'll learn tremendous amounts from it. I think another thing, people brought up some books I didn't know about, but they made me think of books that I had when I was a kid and some books I do know about. But here's four books, and one I've covered before as an item of the day. It's the American Boys Handybook. Here's three others, though. Backyard Ballistics. Yeah, it's a real book. It's cool, too. Dangerous Book for Boys. And the Totally Irresponsible Science Book. The Book of Totally Irresponsible Science. I have links to all of those in the show notes today. You know, those things, 
Here's what they really play on. I get to do something that I'm otherwise not supposed to do. One of the things that teaching a kid how to make a fire has going for it is I get to make a fire. I'm not supposed to make fires. Now, the truth is, you know, my grandson can make a fire whenever he wants to under the right circumstances, which at the age of nine and under is, I first of all, number one circumstances, I must be aware that it's happening, right? And then there's a whole other list of safety requirements, but number one, I must be aware that it's happening. But it's still kind of like, you know, they know I couldn't go to school and do this without getting in trouble. And kids dig that. They dig feeling like they're getting to do something that they normally would not be permitted to do. And all of a sudden, learning is getting away with something. And there's a lesson in learning how to get away with shit, too. I tell my grandson all the time, the reason you have to learn all the rules is so when the time is right, you know how to break them and not get in trouble. That's, that's why you learn rules. Most people learn rules so that they never get in trouble and they lead very mediocre lives. Smart people... People who take initiative learn the rules so they know when and how and where to bend, break, or even rape the damn rules. And people that are like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? Your kid's going to work for my grandkid. I'll just tell you that right up front. If that's your attitude, if that's the way you see things, your kid's going to work for my grandson. That's what's going to happen. Because the ones that learn to bend and break the rules the right way are the ones that end up running the world. So those books help build that mindset, but also help build the concept of, well, here's how you do a thing that you're not supposed to do. The reason you're not supposed to do it is most people would not put these proper things in place around it, and therefore it would actually be dangerous. And here's how we take what's dangerous and put it in a controlled environment so that we can break the rules safely. That's That's incredibly valuable. And somebody pointed out something else I really never thought of, that the Boy Scout merit badge books and stuff like that, really, really useful as well. And not just the Boy Scout stuff, but like the Cub Scout books and stuff. And I did scouting for a little bit as a kid. It really wasn't my thing. But I, I do have to admit that it did help teach me some things. And here's an example. When I was, I, I think, because this is so long ago, I think it was part of the Bear Badge. In Cub Scouts, there was this book, and it had all these things you had to do. And one of the things that you had to do was you, you had to help repair a boat dock. Well, where the hell? It was like 10. Where the hell am I going to get a boat dock? Let alone one to repair. Like, you start thinking about that, you're like, what? And the only boat dock I really knew of was the one my grandfather and I went fishing at, and it was at the, 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 the university that he worked at as a head of security, and there was nothing wrong with it. So There's nothing to fix. I, I'm, I was pretty sure that they weren't going to let me go break it. So I talked to my grandfather, and he said, well, you're thinking the right way. You're at least thinking about where you can find a boat dock. He's like, we live in Jacksonville, Florida. There's docks everywhere. Well, what this ended up doing was it ended up making me, with his help, have to find someone who needed help who had something that could be fixed. Well, that's learning to be of service. And not only to be of service, but to seek out someone to be of service to, which was the reason it was in a Cub Scout book in the first place. Like when I saw that as a little kid, I didn't get it. It took me, it took me probably a couple years even after it was over and done with and I quit being a scout to even go, oh, which is great because that means some of the things you're teaching your kids, they don't even learn when they learn them. They learn them later when they realize they learned them back then. All right, a little temporal disturbance in the learning curve right there. So, oh, oh, 
Oh, shit, I had to go find someone to be of service to. That's what scouts do. I get it now. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm a little slow. Right? That's what that was. But it was also then, okay, well, when you finally found someone that had a boat dock you could fix, like we found this guy, this older guy that lived on a lake not far from where my grandfather was. There was a little help involved in me finding him. And uh, But his thing was, you know, if you just take a piece of wood and stick it where this busted piece of wood is, I'm going to have this brand new piece of wood on kind of this weathered-looking old dock. So then I had to, again, with the old man's help, track down a piece of kind of weathered-looking wood that was at least as big or bigger than the piece of wood that I needed, which I did eventually. Then I had to figure out how to cut it so that it would fit, and then install it, and I replaced this guy's broken plank. The actual procedure was a five-minute job. Most of the learning was in finding the person to help, figuring out what that person actually wanted versus what I thought they wanted, and then figuring out how to get that for them. Gee, you want a formula for a kid that grows into an entrepreneur. What the hell else do you need? Because that's what entrepreneurs do, right? And start learning to bridge these gaps so that you can just, like, you don't have to, like, teach the steep lesson. As the kid does a thing, and you can find that bridge, like this also leads to entrepreneurship, all you got to do is the, be the farmer that plants the seed. Hey, you know, that's what you do when you start a business, blah, 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 walk away. When you plant a seed in the ground, you don't sit there and go, Squow! Squow, stupid! Come on, you stupid radish! You just put a radish seed in the ground, you know about 24, 28 days, there's going to be a radish there. That's how long it takes a radish to grow. If you put an acorn in the ground, you know you're looking at 25 years before acorns fall off of the oak tree. That's how long it takes an oak tree to grow. When you plant a seed in somebody like this, you don't really know because now you're dealing with the interrelationship with a living organism that makes decisions for itself. So you don't know how long it's going to take for that thing to bear fruit. And you don't know what fruit it's going to bear. You just know that it is. That's a big part of this as well. Um, Someone else was talking about, you know, basically developing a budget. I think one of the great ways to do that is to help a child develop a budget to obtain a goal. There's one thing kids know. They want shit. There's all kinds of shit kids want. I mean, we've built an entire industry called Christmas off of it in some ways. Um, kids want stuff. They want stuff as in... Material things, they want stuff in as to go places, they want stuff in as to get out of something, um, what have you. I don't care what it is. But if you can have a discussion with a young person about something they want, and something they want that they just don't immediately get, not just because you're not going to give it to them, but it actually is going to be something that's going to take a little bit of effort. It's going to take a little bit of money, and it's going to take more money than you're willing to just break out the billfold and hand them. They're going to have to figure out how they can do some work, how they can make some money, and this is going to take a little while to happen. It's not something that they need five bucks for. They're going to go you know, trim the roses for granny, get five bucks, and go buy it. Not a lot learned from that. Something they're going to have to stretch a little bit for. Something that when they make that five bucks trimming the rose bushes for granny... They're going to want to spend some of that $5 and maybe save some of it long term. And maybe two bucks of that five bucks can go in a jar that is specifically for this thing. How much does that thing cost? How much money do they think they can earn in a week on average? How much money are they going to want to put aside out of that week? 
how long will it take to get there? And how, does, how do those numbers change if I save more or work harder or spend less? And it's okay to go, and do, do you really want this? Because probably, th this is the thing that people would think, like, we got to teach children not to quit. Man, I'll quit anything that makes me miserable if I can. I mean, really, if it, if it doesn't actually, if, it, the, the, if these things do not spark joy, they're to be quit. That doesn't mean we don't work through adversity. You know, like when I was going through certain schools in the military, there were times when I promise you it did not spark joy. Okay? It did not. But the goal was something I wanted. That goal was worthy. But if you have a kid that says, I want this widget, and when they do the math on the widget, they go, yeah, I don't really want it anymore. Don't! It, like, like, oh my God, I, I, I would live for that realization. That's amazing, Johnny. That's so freaking awesome that you figured that out. What do you want? I don't know right now. That's a completely acceptable answer. But eventually, you know, you don't have to force this one. There's going to be a bigger goal. And you develop that budget with them. Teach them how Excel works. They don't, if they're young, like, I'm not going to tell Braylon, hey, fire up Excel and figure out how it works. I'll I'll build them a spreadsheet and show them where the numbers go. We can get to the mechanics of how later. But look, hey, just stick it in there. If that's how much a week, well, this is how many weeks it takes. Oh, that's seven weeks. How many months is that? Almost two. When will that be? Oh, look, here's a time calculator. That's, you know, that's 49 days. Let's go here and see what day that would be. Wow, that's all the way. Look how where that is. Like, is that good enough? Don't give them answers. Ask them questions. Is that good enough for you? Yeah, okay, well, let's get on with it. And then you follow up with it. Now you're teaching budgeting. You're teaching discipline. You're teaching decision-making. That kid's going to make a much better decision about where to go to college or if to go to college and what major to take. Because if you subject a college education to that same process, about half the people to go to college wouldn't. At least not the way that they did. And that's okay. Because then they wouldn't be sitting there belly aching and crying and, and whimpering over $85,000 worth of debt while they slurp coffee at Starbucks. Because they would have known the answer to the questions about the economics before they went into it. And this is something we don't have to even introduce that concept. All we have to do is talk about the methodology. This is how we determine things. And then you have a kid that as they get older when they want something and you say, Dad can't do that for you right now. They understand why. Because what we don't want to do when we, we put children in touch with the fact that, hey, dad has to work, make money, and pay bills, and I can't give you everything you want, we don't want them sharing our burden of worrying about where the bills are going to be paid next month. We want them to get, you know, feel pretty comfortable about that unless we get in a situation where they have to burden share just because they have to accept reality, like a layoff or something like that we have to move. Well, then other than that, we need to, it's okay to shelter them from some things. But when, when dad just says, we can't do that, And they understand the mechanics of money, they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna push for it. They're gonna be, oh, I get it. There's a limit, and they might start thinking, well, I really want this. What can I do to make this happen? And they might come to you with a counter proposal, and it might be reasonable, and you might feel like, well, they shouldn't have. No, they should have to work for what you want. Yes, you absolutely should have to do that. 
That means you're, you, you get to that point, you don't have a problem, but it means you're doing it right. So developing a budget to obtain a goal. I think developing a product for sale is another good idea. One person said that their kid, you know, was breeding rabbits and selling rabbits. Anything that ties into that entrepreneurship thing is, is awesome. I, I told my grandson today, I said, you know, all these, these fish tanks Papa Jack has, you know, there's people that actually pay to buy the plants that are inside them on eBay. That's even where I got some of my plants. And if you learned about those plants and you took some of those plants out, you could send them to those people and they would send you money. You could just see, it's like, what the? It's like, you know, I'm like, but I'm not going to do it. I, I just like the fish tanks. I'm the kind of guy that buys the plants. Now, if he takes, if he takes any initiative on that, you can bet I'm going to help him. I'll be like, why don't we start with these three plants? Cause I know they'll sell the best. We'll learn a little bit about marketing. Like, One of the reasons people will buy these plants is because we grow them in a tank without CO2. Well, most people don't have CO2 systems, so what that does is let them put this plant in their tank, and it's, it's healthy right away. So we need to make sure we tell people that. Here's how you take pictures. Here's how you upload it. You'll have to use my account. But all of a sudden, there's an income source. I don't care what it is. There is something magical that happens. The first time a person makes money for real. When you go to work and you do a job for somebody and you get paid, you're not making money, you're earning money. It's not a slight, I'm not putting it down, I'm not saying you're not real, whatever, but you're not making money, you're earning money. Whoever you're working for is making money. They created the opportunity. If you're employed, truly employed, not just doing rose bushes for granny, then that person is not employing you out of the goodness of their heart. You're working for them, you're earning a wage, but they're making more on you than they're paying you, or they're not a very good business person, your job's not going to last very long. They're making money. The first time a person makes money, it flips a switch. And once that switch is flipped, it's almost impossible for that person to think about money or economics or business or work the same way ever again. And I say the earlier that that switch gets flipped the better for that person because the longer they are gifted with the ability to use that knowledge and information. For me, I was like in, I guess, elementary school, elementary, middle, somewhere in that range. And what got really, really popular were cinnamon toothpicks. And so these cinnamon toothpicks came in a little plastic package, and there were like 10 of them, and they were 25 cents for 10 crappy little flat toothpicks. And kids loved them. And from one way or another, I, I found out about something called cinnamon oil. And then if you soak the toothpicks in the cinnamon oil, you got cinnamon toothpicks. So I figured out that the toothpicks we had at home, the little round ones, were a hell of a lot better than the ones, these little flat pieces of crap that they sold in the, the convenience store. And I started making up toothpicks, and I was selling like five toothpicks for 10 cents. And, I mean, you know, if you're a kid, back when, you know, lunch was freaking like 50 cents, you don't have to sell a lot of toothpicks before you got an extra lunch for the day if you wanted to, or a candy bar, or a couple of video games or something. And I didn't become a mogul off of freaking toothpicks or anything, but, you know, until I got caught anyway, I, I had this little side income. And I think it was right from that point forward that it was like, if I need money... There's always something I can do to create money for myself. 
Not to earn money, but to create it. That was the creation of income. There was an opportunity that existed. There was a revenue stream to be tapped into. And all you had to do was create the right thing and stick it into that formula, and it would make money come out of it. You tell me there's a more powerful thing we can teach kids. Now, it shouldn't take you a big leap in your mind to figure out why we don't teach kids that in school. And it's not because we don't want them, you know, all selling shit in school. That's just a behavior thing. That's, you know, a minor consideration. There's no reason for an apparatus that is the government school system that seeks to condition behavior to a performance obedience standard, which is what school is, to empower individualism on that way. School, whether you like this or not, if you're part of this system or whatever and you just don't like hearing the truth about it, I'm sorry. The, the modern education system was developed to create obedient, on-time, responsible workers. That's what it was for. That's what it was meant to do. One of the reasons the entire university system really became what it did in the last 150 years is because somebody had to be in charge of those workers. Somebody had to organize those workers. Somebody had to manage those workers. And somebody had to be able to understand the machines, not just run them. So your top tier went into universities. It didn't cost money to go to college in the 20s, 30s, etc. I mean, almost every college was run almost exclusively by scholarship. Look it up if you doubt me. Right? And then we came up with this idea that, well, everybody needs to go to college. Well, so now we're sending the obedient worker to the managerial level course that they're not qualified to take. Or maybe they are really, really gifted, but they should be doing something different. But what we don't want is the majority to understand how to actually generate wealth. We'll lie to them and say that they'll become really, really wealthy if they just work hard and try hard and do what they're supposed to and get good grades. When plenty of people who got really great grades don't make any money. That's why they're disgruntled now. That's why they're angry. There was a song about it you know, back in the 80s. Our graduations hang on the wall though they never really helped us at all. They never taught us what was real. Iron and Coke, chromium steel, familiar with the song? That's the sentiment. The sentiment was, we did everything we were told. We were good boys and girls. We followed the rules. Where's what we were promised? That comes from a disconnect of understanding the, the fundamentals of wealth generation. Developing a products for sale just fixes that now. Um, another one is building a foxhole radio. I, I'd forgotten about this, man. This is something I did when I was a kid. I think like, I think we did this I think we actually did this in school when I was a kid. But you can actually make a radio out of using things like uh, a razor blade, like an old school safety razor blade and a pencil and some other equipment. If you've never heard of this, um This started in World War II in 1944 is the best guess in Italy. And the reason for it was, in the World War II era, the way that a radio that you would listen to, even if it didn't have any transmission capabilities, was made, it generated enough signal that it could actually be detected. And so if you were, you know, in a U.S. military unit somewhere and, you know, you don't really want to advertise, hey, Germans, we're over here, right? Um... 
and you were listening to the radio, the very that very act, even though you're really thinking of a receiver versus a transmitter, transmitted enough carrier waves that, hey, we can triangulate in, and there's a radio signal coming from this place. So some soldier, no one really knows who, that had, probably had some electronics background, figured out how to put this thing together, and it doesn't use any power. The most rudimentary form of a foxhole radio doesn't have a battery. It doesn't use any electricity. The radio wave itself has power. And not only is the radio wave received, but enough of the power contained within the radio wave to actually let the radio transmit sound. Now, this is not high-fidelity you know, stereo sound. But if you're a soldier separated from home... And one guy in your unit is able to tie in, you know, to a local radio station being run by the Americans that's giving news that you otherwise wouldn't receive. How valuable is that? Well, as a kid today that lives in a world of smartphones and internet and all that stuff's wonderful. I use the, someone asked me today, like with my project with, with, with Bray, um, so does he have to look the word up in an old school dictionary or online? And I said, an online dictionary. Why not both? With the little girl from Taco Bell, right? Why not both? Yay! You know, it's crunchy and soft. Um, and I, I see, I don't think we should be turning away from technology, but I don't think we should be turning away from fundamentals either. So we can use the Internet to find out how to build the foxhole radio. But understanding that that radio wave is there whether you perceive it or not, There's a tremendous value in that as well. So how many other things are there whether you perceive them or not? And I'm going to tell you one of the most important things that's there whether you know it or not about anything. The truth. The truth is the truth whether you see it or not, whether you understand it or not, whether you know it or not. It's a lot like a radio wave. Big lesson in that. How about learning to meditate or relax or be patient, reflect, etc.? I think there's a huge lesson in that. Being able to learn how to just pull out of the now and all the things that seem so, like to be such a big deal and to be at peace. And I think one of the reasons this might be more important now than ever is there is no doubt that there are, there is less engagement with religious institutions than there ever has been in history. Some people think that's a huge problem. Some people think it's a great blessing. I kind of land somewhere in the middle on this. I am not a member of any organized faith. For those of you that may be new and have never heard me say this before, it might be shocking, but I'm not. Uh, I grew up, I was born and raised Catholic. For a long time, I was deeply involved with the Methodist Church. Um, I'll just leave it at that for today. Um, but today, I consider myself to not be a Christian. I know that really will shock some of you. Uh, I am a deist. And I am not a classic deist. In other words, I don't believe in a God that's just like the God of the Christian faith but doesn't have rules and doesn't engage. I believe in some sort of higher power, some sort of first cause, some sort of centralized intelligence, something that is beyond our comprehension at this point that we would call a God. So I don't really necessarily have a problem with the lack of a religious institution in the lives of people that don't want to be part of one. Now, if you do, then I think they're great. And so on that note, just because I don't want to be part of an institution like that doesn't take away the truth in that they give society something. And one thing that they give society is 
the, the advantages of prayer. And even if you don't believe that praying has any sort of spiritual effect, prayer is a form of meditation. There is a value in gratitude. So one thing that you know a religious institution generally teaches is to have gratitude for something as simple as your meal, saying grace. So whether I share your belief that God cares if you do that or not doesn't take away from what it does for humans. To understand being grateful for receiving food and pausing to contemplate of that has a psychological benefit regardless of the religious implication on the other side. So if we have removed the religious institution from providing that, then it kind of makes sense if that's psychologically and spiritually beneficial to the individual that something should stand in for it. We don't have to believe in an organized faith to have a reverence for our food or an appreciation for something or to simply pause and think about the larger issues. It's one of the reasons I think I love hunting so much because you're alone with your thoughts. So in some way, shape, or form, however that is, and it definitely can include religion if that's part of your family's life, learning to meditate, relax, reflect, be patient. Um, developing a home automation solution. I try to go as varied here as I can. Uh, so, you know, Alexa can do a lot of things and stuff like that. And you, I have, you know, home automation built into simple things like the lights when they come on of my fish tanks and stuff like that. Here's the thing, like, we didn't grow up, most of us, even you guys that are younger than me that have kids instead of grandkids, you didn't really grow up with the entire concept of having an automated home. It's new to you. It's it's something that you didn't have wired into your synapses when you were a child. Your kids do. Your kids expect things to be able to just work because you say so. I laughed the other day, and but it made perfect sense as to why. Um, my My granddaughter, who's three loves a lot of stuff on YouTube. And if she's watching on a tablet, you see the little different, you know, video thumbnails come up, and I want to watch, you know, this one on Peppa Pig. So you, you touch it. So she was watching YouTube on our TV, our big screen TV. And, for you know, it kind of just autoplays. And for one reason or another, the autoplay didn't happen. And it went to the thumbnails, So what does she do? Well, she walks up to the screen and tapping the one that she wants. Well, it makes perfect sense that she would do that. I mean, it's not how the TV works, but why wouldn't she expect that it would work that way? And it's cute, and you can think, ah, well, they'll learn, and I don't necessarily want her to know how to use the remote control completely yet. I like having some control over this stuff. But the fact that they think that way, You took time into things like home automation. They'll have everything in your house automated before you understand what they're doing. They will move so much faster than you, and that's good. And one thing I wanted to get in, and that's why I included this one, is we should not fear that. We should not fear our children becoming better at things than we are. If you are a teacher and you don't have students who become better than you are at some things, you are a shitty teacher. And the last place I want to be a shitty teacher is where my kid or my grandkids at stake. I want to be the best teacher I can, which means I should be teaching them to be better than me at as many things as they have an interest at becoming better at me in. Not everything, because some things I want to do, they don't want to do, and that's okay. And some things they want to do are not really my thing, but I should still encourage that. Last, this is, I think, the most powerful thing you can do for a young person today. Have them develop a lesson for you. 
Have them teach you something. And have them orchestrate the entire thing. This is not something you're going to do in five minutes. Dad, this is how you tie a shoelace. Have them come up with a subject they want to learn about. And instead of doing a report to you, play teacher. Teach me this thing. And I would say, like, the more you can encourage that and the more you can get them to do, the better. They should be able to develop a test. Ten questions that you should be able to answer about the thing after they're done teaching you about it. A reading assignment for you. A lecture for you. So they should say, you need to read these things. Then they're going to they're gonna talk at you. Then you're going to discuss the reading. Then they're going to give you the test. And the way they win is when you pass with an A+. And the best thing would be for it to be something you really don't know that much about, so you can't help them with it. You have to follow the curriculum they give you. Wow. Bet you we ain't going to learn that in school. Because then we learned that all this magical fairy dust around teachers is just that. It's magical fairy dust. That's how you teach anything. You learn it, you master it, you develop a curriculum which isn't that hard to do. You encourage the natural instinct of a human being to learn. You discuss it with them. You use grammar, logic, and rhetoric throughout, and then you test to see if the information has been absorbed. Self-directed learning on steroids. It's done. Once you can teach, you can learn. In fact, you learn the most through teaching. I've learned that. I knew that, but trust me, over the last 12 years of my life in doing this show, what I've known in theory, I have completely become enamored with in process. I've always known that because I've always been a speaker and a trainer and a natural teacher. But having to teach on some level every day, every work day, for 12 consecutive years on the varied subject matter that we, we have on here, I can tell you it is not theory at all. It is 100% fact You learn the most when you teach. And this is why our students should be put in the role of being teachers. That's not good for an authoritarian system that wants to train obedience into people. But if you think about it, almost every type of school outside of academia does this. And I know somebody's going to write me about TAs in college or something like that. I get that. Stop it. Stop it. The majority of students go through K through 12 and even through university and they never teach anybody anything. They may do a report, even an oral one or a speaking assignment or something. Uh, they may end up teaching their fellow students as they work on a project together, but they never stand in front of a room and actually teach. When I was in school, I had a class called speech and I gave, and I gave many talks in that class as assignments, but it was never really as a teacher. I had an agenda that was given to me, so I was speaking to demonstrate my knowledge. As I did that, sure, some of my fellow classmates learned something, and I learned from them. But it was never, hey, develop this as a lesson. Teach these other people this thing that you don't even know yet. You must learn it well enough to teach it, because it takes the magic away. And it's truly empowering. And it puts you in a position where you know, I will learn whatever I need to know when I need to know it. And it breaks dependence on the system. And just like the lesson of the creation of wealth, 
the making of money versus the earning of money. I think the time to teach a young person how to teach so that they truly know how to learn and truly understand systemic independence is as young as their brain can accept it at. Whatever the youngest point in their life where they can hear that, practice that, do that, accept that, and take it in, that's how young it should be. If it's five, five, if it's 15, 15, I don't get whatever it is. And I'll tell you that a lot of things when it comes to human nature and learning are not binary. They're not on off, right? It's not, I either am ready or I'm not ready. They're maybe ready for part of that. Take them as far as they can go with it. But I think it doesn't even matter what the subject or the project is. If you can get a kid to the point where you can say, look, let's pick a subject that you want to learn about that I don't know much about. And let's get you to develop a curriculum for that. 30 minutes of reading for me. You're probably going to have to do four hours of reading to distill it down to 30 minutes that I need. The most critical 30 minutes of reading. You're going to develop a lecture. You're going to talk to me about this. Then we do a discussion on what I've learned. I have questions for you. You have questions for me to test me. And then you have some sort of test that I have to take. And that test doesn't have to, you know, written is very school-like. So maybe it's not written. Maybe it's an oral examination. But put that young person in charge of that educational experience. And there's, there's no doubt that that is going to put them head and shoulders above their peers. If you are a person that can walk into a situation, assess it, acquire knowledge, bullet point it and explain it, draw a conclusion and lead others there, there is nothing you cannot accomplish. Now, if it's, I want to be a doctor, well, you're going to have to go to medical school. It doesn't mean that there might not be some hurdles, some legitimate walls that have to be climbed, you know, or doors installed with, or blown up, or whatever it is. But the reality is that fundamental right there, that's it. You're, you are in a top 10% of society. 90% of people cannot do what I just described. It's not that they're incapable. They don't have the ability yet. They've never developed it. And the older you become before you try, the more difficult it is. Because I've used a word earlier that maybe it's important that we expand on a little bit here as we wrap up. Synapses. These are the connections of the neural pathways in your brain. And the younger we are, the faster and the more we develop them. And as we get to a certain age, we re it's not they stop. Science used to believe they stopped being developed. Uh, it's not that they stop. But the speed at which they develop and how many of them develop and how much effort we're willing to put into developing them drops drastically. And if you think about, like, if a person has a stroke and there's no physical reason that they can't walk, but they have trouble walking, like maybe they have left side weakness in their leg, but there's no physical reason for it. They've just, the, the, the pathways that tell the leg what to do have been damaged. So they have to be rerouted, and you have to actually just relearn to use that leg. You intellectually know how, but you, now you have to relearn how to use it. As we get older, significant challenges like develop a core curriculum and teach it when it's never been done, are way more difficult to do at, let's say, 45 than 25. And they're harder for many people to do at 25 than 15. And you can say whatever you want about shy or not being outgoing or being an introvert or whatever. That's all good and well if I'm asking you to stand up in front of 50 people. 
But if I'm talking, you know, tell your, tell your old man, you know, ten things about basketballs, there's no introvert problem there. As long as you can pull yourself back and put them in charge and let them actually be in charge. And I'll tell you what, the so-called introvert that's taught that as a kid isn't going to have a hard time standing in front of 500 people when they're 25. That's a confidence issue. It's not really the psychological issue we've made it out to be. It's a confidence issue. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with a person that doesn't feel like doing it, but it's really a confidence thing. If you really know that you know what you know, and you really believe what you have to say is of value, you can tell anybody, anywhere, in any format, those things. But what we've done is we have taken the most innate, normal human behaviors. We have elevated them to some kind of special thing only special people can do. And then we have gone out and spent 13 years breaking down that natural component in human psychology to the point that we neuter it so that it doesn't overexpress itself so that human beings can be controlled. You know what we call that process? Domestication. The human being is a feral species. We are, we are a native wild species to this planet. Right? We are, but we are not a domesticated animal. If you look at a, a buffalo, a cape buffalo, it can be one of the most dangerous animals in the world, but they're basically a wild cow. And you can train cape buffalo, right, to the point where they act like a Jersey cow. That doesn't mean they can't be dangerous because there's always the potential, and so can humans always be dangerous. But innately, that buffalo is a buffalo. It is not a domesticated cow. We can make it act like a domesticated cow. So knowing this, what humans did is we further domesticated bovines so that we can have an Angus or a Jersey cow, right? And that way we have an animal that's much more easy to keep in its domesticated form and its domesticated behaviors. We have Everything in society has tried to do that to humans, but we have not been bred to be domesticated the way we have bred bovines or anything else. We are much more like the pig than the cow. The pig, no matter how pink we make the pig, if that pig sees a gap that's just big enough to shove its pig ass through, it will get out of a fence and run off into the woods and start feeding on acorns. And in a few generations, that pig will be black, and it'll be wild, and it'll start acting like a wild Russian boar again. That's what we are. If we only allow ourselves to see the opening and to squeeze through it, That's your actual job as a teacher. It is not to teach the child to stay in the pen, but how to understand the pen so that they can escape it and still understand the value that remains within it. Because unlike the feral animal that wants to run off into the wilderness and disappear into nothing, we still want to interact with all of the other animals we call humans who haven't figured out how to get out of those boundaries. We still want to have interpersonal relationships with them. We still want to work with them. We just don't want to accept the confines that they accept. Teach your children to follow the rules, but at the same time, teach your children how to identify the rules, identify the boundaries, and know where they can exceed them. It'll pay you big dividends. The final thoughts here is what you want to do is build in the process of learning so that it becomes second nature. So that you develop a young person 
or yourself. I hope you realize that everything I've said about children, even though it might be harder when you're 30, you can do these things yourself. You can teach yourself these things. You can teach, correct, and demonstrate and be the leader in your own life. And if you do it long enough, you get to the point where like you're like, I wonder how. And you just start learning. And you just start trying and you just start poking at stuff. You know, one reason kids learn so fast on computers, they just start doing shit. If something bad happens, they go backwards to where they started and they don't do that thing again. If something good happens, they do more of that to see what happens. You actually ask a kid to explain how they figured out how to do something on a computer, some version of what I just said is what they give you. They don't have a fear. Something bad will happen. What's going to happen? It's a computer. There's an undo feature. Whatever. That's how we have to look at things. So unless, again, if you're going to blow off an appendage, Damage an internal organ, take out an eye. If we're not going to do something like that, just try. Until learning becomes so second nature that it's just what you do whenever you are, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're um, in front of a problem that needs solving. So that you simply do what I said, which is you figure out how to do something whenever you need to know how to do it. And if you really need something done and you don't have time to know how to do it, you learn the skill of separation to say, this is a thing that I'm going to do. And while I'm doing this thing, I'm going to pay somebody else to do this thing over here. That's, that is how society runs. That's how society works is division of labor. But what we've been convinced is everything specialized. Everything is something that somebody else has to do except for the one thing we know how to do. Ah, bullshit on that. Don't raise your kids that way. And if you were raised that way, don't blame your parents. They're a product of the same system we've been beating up on today. But it's up to you to change your course. With that, we've wrapped up another episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, remember you can only support the show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com. No matter what you buy there, you'll help support the show and the work that we do. Today I have an item of the day for you. You guys are going to love if you are a low-carb person. If you're not, you might like it anyway because cutting sugar is good for everyone. And I find that most people like candy. I like candy. It's one of the hardest things to give up on keto. And every once in a while, you know, you just have some candy. But if you if you make every once in a while frequent, uh, all of a sudden you're not doing keto anymore. You start putting the weight back on. You start having blood sugar rises. And that's just not good. So I've always looked for real sugar-free candy. A lot of the candy that they sell, like, in the diabetic section at the store and all is terrible. If it has malitol in it, you might as well just eat regular sugar and be done with it because it's just it just jacks your blood sugar up. It's not sugar-free. It's a lie. I don't care what the label says. But a sugar substitute that actually is sugar-free, that doesn't jack up your blood sugar, is stevia. And Lily's, L-I-L-Y-S, makes uh, a lot of different chocolates. They're not all sugar-free. Uh, but they do make some uh, stevia sweet and sugar. They make one. It is a milk chocolate, salted caramel, 40% cocoa chocolate bar. It is sweet, uh, sweetened with stevia. And it is flavored with salt and caramel. Now, it's not caramel-filled. It has a caramel flavor within the chocolate. They make a lot of stuff. It's all okay. It's good. It's decent. It's all right. These are amazing. You, If somebody, if you were at like a place, you know, and they did dinner, and then they brought out some like red wine and chocolate, which is a really great way to finish a dinner, and they didn't tell you, you would be like, oh, this is great. What is this? And if they told you what it was, you'd be like, oh, you wouldn't even like probably you know, catch the hook that it's not, there's no sugar in it unless you were told. It's that good. Um, some of the other ones, like there's a plain, there's an almond, etc. Again, they're okay, but you can tell it's not, it's not Godiva. Let's just, you know, go on that. Uh, this tastes as good as any regular chocolate bar I've ever had. 
Salted caramel, that's the, the, the one to look for. I have a link in the, in the uh, write-up today. Here's the only downside about getting them on Amazon. The only way to get them on Amazon for a good price is to buy a box of 12. And it comes out about $3.33 a piece, which is better than they cost in the store. Store, they're about like $4.50 at the store. You, if you might want to check your store and see if they sell this particular one to try it, but if you like chocolate, salt, and caramel, you're going to like these. And if you can find a cheaper way to get them, do it. Like I, I always say that about the T-Spaz stuff. You know, I'm just showing you, you know, where you can get it. These things are amazing, and I have an idea for them. I haven't tried this yet, but I think this is going to be really good. So you know the little mini muffin things, like that you come with silicon baking pans. So my thought is, you take one of those mini muffin things, and in each little mini muffin hole, you throw like a macadamia nut, a pecan, maybe a pinch of uh, pumpkin seed, and a pinch of like pine nuts. And then these bars, they break into, I think it's 30 little squares. So, so throw a little square in each one of those. Throw that in the oven and put it in the oven until the chocolate melts. Probably about 350 degrees. And just kind of watch until the chocolate melts. As soon as it melts, just kill it because you're not cooking anything there. Take it out and let it cool down and pop them out of there. Those should be fantastic. And I did the math, and one square of this is 0.33 carbs. 33 33 hundredths of a carb. So really, really low. Um, this stuff, the, a bar, is eight net carbs. So half a bar, which is a pretty good chunk of chocolate, is four net carbs. Dorothy and I will either eat like a quarter of a bar each or we'll split a whole bar sometimes. And so we're eating anywhere between two and four carbs each. For, for something that tastes like really good, high-quality chocolate, Again, Lily's. They also have uh, chocolate chips, which are really great, too. And I was going to do the chocolate chips for what I just said with the nuts and all. Nah, these things taste better. It's just, they're awesome. But now that you know about Lily's chocolate, there's other options. And if you want no sugar and you want chocolate in your life, Lily's will give it back to you. You can find it at tspaz.com where you support us no matter what you eventually buy. With that, let's talk about our song of the day. Song of the day today is we continue through Queen Week. Queen Week. It's hard to say for some reason. Queen Week um, is I Want to Break Free. This is a song came out in the 80s, and MTV was at its height. Like This is the era of a white snake, to give you kind of the, the, the general timeline. And it didn't last very long on MTV because the video showed the whole band in drag, largely misunderstood, and Freddie Mercury being gay didn't really help that. Uh, but there was a lot of kind of a British humor built into it, and it didn't just, you know, really play in America, especially at the time, uh, play very well. But it was based on kind of a comedy. I can't remember what it's called now, but a comedy that was done in Britain, something street or something like that. Um, and they were all representing characters from the show. And it's just kind of goofy and stupid. Um, but the song really was about the women's liberation movement. And women breaking free from stereotypical roles. So it like it really just missed the mark with the American audience because, well, let's just be honest, Americans like to be offended and outraged. Feigned outrage is indeed very hot right now. There's a lot of things people feign outrage about. It's not just the leftists that do it, the left and the right, the middle. Man, people love to be outraged and offended by things. You know what I want to break free of? that type of nonsensical thinking. And one way to do that is to develop a logical, consistent thought process. That's a lot of what we talked about today. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.